Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Amen and amen. Will you open your Bibles to 1 Peter, please? 1 Peter. It's in the New Testament all the way towards the end. If you get all the way to Revelation, just go back a few books and you'll find yourself there. So this morning, um, well, let me start by saying this. Uh, Shannon and I, several months ago, we went on a husband-wife time away. And we did that because we can. Um, Our kids, you well know, our two daughters are gone to college and and working. And then we just have a son in the house and he can take care of himself. So uh, we're at that point in life where we can just leave and it's glorious. If you have little kids in your house, hang on. I heard you, Kelly. Hang on, because it gets real good when they leave. I'm just telling you. There's some sadness every now and then, but it is really nice to have the freedom to do whatever you want to do and not have to worry about anybody else under your care. I'm just saying, that's a, that's a cool thing. Um, but I digress. Shannon and I went to a theme park in Atlanta uh, several months ago. Now, it's not that we don't love our kids. Well, certainly we do, but you know what I mean. We went to this theme park because we had some tickets, and um, we, Shannon and I walked around for, I don't know, an hour or two hours, and, and there was this unspoken subtleness. There was this kind of this feeling that both of us had, and we figured out what it was, and we finally spoke it out loud. We said, you know what? This just isn't what we thought it would be. See, we were basing our memory of this place from 25, 30 years ago when we went as teenagers. And in 25 or 30 years, either our memory is just bad or it went downhill, but it just wasn't the same. And it was this realization that, man, we're disappointed. And so we we just left. We left and we went and did some other things. I think we went to Ikea. That was a big big thing. I guess you know you're getting old when you go to Ikea instead of a theme park, right? Um, But but it reminds me of, of, of today. It reminds me of the situation that we're in today. And so I want to ask you a question that is a very forward question. It's a very uh, uh, pointed question. But here's the question, and I want you to answer it for you. Have you realized yet that this world is not your home? Has it dawned on you yet that you only are passing through? That your citizenship, if you're a follower of Jesus, is not in the good old U.S. of A. It's in a much higher, bigger, much more holy kingdom. Now, the message I have for you today uh, uh, was birthed in my heart a couple of weeks ago, and, 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 I've, and I've had the, a couple of weeks to process it, and I think that God's timing for this is, is, is perfect But I have to start with a few disclaimers. The first one is this. What I'm going to talk about today will sound to some people as political, but it is not. This has nothing to do in my mind and in my heart with politics because I don't care about politics in this moment. All I care about is the kingdom of God and how we are to live as strangers and aliens in this world. So I'm going to ask you to trust my heart and hear what I'm saying, not what you think I'm saying, okay? 
But having said that, there's no possible way to deal with this without dealing with politics. Because everything is about politics right now. Well, can we agree on that? Is it, is it not? You cannot turn on the TV right now without seeing something on virtually every channel. Even Cartoon Network is dealing with politics. Because these cartoons that they made for adults and pretend like they're for kids, they're political in so many ways. So the question that I have for you overall is this. Have you realized yet that you are aliens and strangers and that this world is not your home? So let's just get down to it. By the way, I have to tell you that it is, uh, uh, it is a strange thing to be a preacher today because Without a, at least in, in evangelical circles, most of us have about the same values when it comes to uh, morality and, and, and our view of the world, the nation, and things like that. So most of us would fall along particular po- political lines. Most of us, not everybody. And because we fall along particular uh, political lines, most of us to say anything. It has gotten to the point where to say anything critical of your own political party results in a mutiny. Folks, that alone ought to give us pause. Amen? It ought to give us pause when preachers don't preach what the Word of God says because of fear that somebody will be offended because their political party was offended. Anytime that happens is especially the time where preachers have to stand up and say, let's look to what God says. And let's understand that the times we live in are tenuous, difficult times. So let me just clear the air where I stand on this, okay? My opinion doesn't matter. What I think doesn't matter. In the grand scheme of things, my opinion is my opinion. You have one, I have one. We all have opinions. They're kind of like armpits. They all stink sometimes or most of the time, right? Here's where I stand on this. I do not like the Democratic platform at all. I cannot support the Democratic platform because it is ultra-liberal and they celebrate things that are completely against the gospel of Jesus Christ. They celebrate the death of the unborn. They celebrate uh, 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 racial division. It's hidden by not racial division, but it is racial division. They celebrate the, the immoral lifestyle to where anybody can be anything. They go against human nature that there is one man and one, one woman. The very fact that there is only a man and only a woman. There's no other option. The Bible says, and God created them what? Male and female. Not male, female, other. It's not in the word of God. That platform, I I wholly disagree with the majority of what the platform stands for. Therefore, because we live in a binary system to where you are either blue or red when it comes to having to cast a vote, or you can stand out and do nothing, then I have to choose how to vote. But let me be clear. I do not support the attitude of the red party. It is an arrogant Attitude in a lot of ways. No no amens to that? It is an attitude when you have a president that says, not, not, not I will not lose, but I cannot lose. You have a problem 
Because it, it, it has not even entertained the idea that losing is an option. Can I tell you something? Losing is always an option. Always. No matter what you do, it's always an option. If you think it's not an option, you've deceived your own self. And so while I agree with the platform of the party on this side, because I have no other choice for one side or another, I cannot label myself red, and here's why. Because to label myself red would be equally as offensive to half the population of the, war, of the, con- of, of the country as it would to be labeling myself blue. So if I label myself red or blue, I have automatically ostracized 50% of the people of my country that I claim to want to know Jesus Christ. Amen? If I say I am for this party and do it in such a way that it overlooks the gross sinfulness of the party, then everybody on the other side looks at me and they say, you hypocrite. Because four years ago, you were criticizing the very things you celebrate now. That's wrong. I was listening to Albert Moeller. I promise you, 1 Peter is going to make sense here in a moment. I was listening to Dr. Albert Moeller. He's the president of the Southern Baptist Seminary in Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky. And he made such a strong point. I would highly encourage you to listen to what he said. He said, we have gotten to a place in our country particularly in the Republican Party, where we have made the president a demagogue. A demagogue. Demagoguery. Great word, isn't it? Is when you elevate a man above the position. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not saying any of you have done that because that's not my business to judge you. You have to deal with your own heart on it. That's you and God. Because I have to deal with my heart with me and God. But here's the deal. I cannot not say what is very obvious culturally. The idea that we would elevate a man as the savior of our country. Do you realize that what people are saying is because a man wasn't elected, our whole country's going to pot as if there's nobody else in the country that has any righteous values. As if there's nobody else in the country who can do anything good. Everything rested on the shoulders of one man. And if you don't believe me, just ask him, he'll tell you. Is that not true? Folks, listen, you deal with your heart I'll deal with my heart, but be honest where you are. And most of us, maybe not most of us, some of us, I, I don't know, maybe, what, I, maybe, some, may, may, maybe somebody in here, let's just say it that way, myself included, maybe somebody in here needs to move more towards the center and let the colors fade. And here's why. Because it ain't gonna get better. We are holding on to a country that is not our own. Let me prove it to you. Go to Europe. Look at France. Look at Italy. Look at Budapest. Go to the Middle East. Look at all of the countries where the gospel was born. Born, listen to me. Ah, country ain't I. Go, go to Turkey. 
the center of the gospel in so many ways, now is a fully Muslim country. The seven churches of Asia Minor were in, in Turkey. Book of Revelation. And yet now, totally different. So here's the point. We need to get out of the color business. We can have firm, we can have firm convictions. We can even speak on these things. But if we want to change our country, we will not do it by political posturing. We will only do it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you link yourself with a party above the gospel, you forfeit the ability to change your own country. And that is what the scripture says. Listen, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I love how it starts. Dear friends, I urge you, as strangers and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against your soul. Listen to how that starts. Dear friends, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a word to the church. This is a word to the people of God. He says, I urge you as strangers and actually, I'm, I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard, so it's a little bit different. It says, strangers and temporary residents. These two words, you might have strangers and aliens, but, or, or aliens and strangers, but these two words are synonyms that, means, that, that mean a, a person that is going through a country, not just getting from one side to the other, but they're moving through a country, spending the night, but they're recognizing that, they're, that, that the, 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 the identification in their wallet is not of that country. That while they're here, they're, 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 they're doing what they have to do to live and they're making a difference where they are, but they recognize in their heart and in their head that everything that they see is just temporary because God has got something much bigger in store. He says, dear friends, I urge you because you are aliens and strangers. You are, you are just passing through. That's you and me. I urge you to abstain uh, from fleshly desires that war against us. Oh, this, this, this verse is so rich. Fleshly desires that war against us. Now, you might have in your, in your passage um, uh, sinful lust. I think that's what the NIV says. Sinful lust. Now, the word lust in the Greek, epithumia, it, it means a strong, almost overwhelming desire. It's this, it's this thing that just draws you and tempts you and just, it wants to suck you in. And it's this overwhelming desire that, you know, it's the kind of desire you have when you uh, uh, are watching TV and you see a steak being grilled and you hear the sizzle and you can almost smell it through the smell of vision, right? I mean, and then suddenly you find yourself wanting a steak. You ever done that? That happens to me with ice cream, right? I mean, it's, or donuts. You see the hot, it's, it's this sinful desire. It's normally re regarding sexual sin, but in this passage, it's referring to all sinful desire. By the way, we're really, really good at calling out sinful desires as long as they're not our own. I mean, we're really good about talking about the things that are wrong as long as about what's wrong in somebody else, not in a, what's wrong in us, Right? Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. I'll get to that point in a moment. But here's the thing. We need to be more uh, aware of our own sin. 
And we need to regularly, as in daily, confess our sin to the Father. Just a question. How often do you confess sin to God? Specifically, in detail. Say it out loud to the Father. You know what we like to do? Lord, forgive me of my sin and all the ways that I failed you. Now let's move on to the blessings. Right? I mean, that's the human nature. You want to know why? Because somehow saying it makes it real. Lord, forgive me for the arrogance in my own heart. Lord, forgive me for the greed. Lord, forgive me for the idolatry. Not just the idolatry, but forgive me for the idolatry of food or, or whatever it might be. Forgive me for seeking the, the approval of others. Forgive me for not speaking truth when I was supposed to speak truth. Lord, forgive me for being angry without cause. Lord, forgive me for doing this. See, we don't want to deal with our sin directly. We just kind of like want to cover over it and just move on thinking that God's going to go, okay, gotcha, good. No, we don't want to speak our sin because when we speak our sin, we are in agreement with God that we are being offensive to God. And when we agree with God, we are now forced with the decision of continuing in our sin or making a change. And we don't want to do that. But here's the thing. We are aliens and strangers. We're living in a world that's not our home. We're living in a world that is fully divided. We forget about the world. We're living in a country that is divided by, and, and you are, you have to be on the side of the red or the blue, or the red or the blue, or whatever, you know, left or right, which is it? Okay, left, the, the blue and the red, right? And that labels you in, in so many ways. And so you, you, have to, you have to do this. And Jesus said, no, neither one of them is my side. My side is the gospel. We made a huge mistake as the church when we claimed the Republican Party as God's side. We made a monstrous mistake when our pulpit started to say that God was for the Republicans. No, God is for righteousness. Whoever is righteousness, righteous is for God and God is with them. But it would be an awful, awful, ignorant thing to think that the Republicans are righteous. There is righteousness in the platform. But to think that an entire party is God's tool for salvation, no, God doesn't need a party. Because guess what? On the Democratic side, you have the same exact argument. In Georgia, one of the new senators is a pastor of a church. And I promise you that this Sunday, he is declaring that Jesus won him the victory. Do you think? And his congregation is standing up and saying, praise God, our God is for us. No, God is not for you. God is for himself, and it's our job to be for him. I love the story, and, I, and, and forgive me, but it's either Gideon or Joseph, I, I, not Joseph, Gideon or Joshua, I think it was Joshua, that he was, he was out and in a, in a, in a, uh, an angel of the Lord was, was there. I do this because he's swinging his sword on fire, right? And he says, to, are you for us? Are you for our enemies? In today's, in today's vernacular, which political party are you for? Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And here's his response, neither. But as the commander of the Lord's army, I now come. In other words, I'm not for you, I'm for God the Father. So you can choose to be for you or you can choose to be with God the Father. 
And he said, of course, you know, his actions anyway was, I'm for God the Father. We live in a world where, where you're, you're forced to choose and I'm telling you that the Bible has already made the choice for you. You are a citizen of another country. You and I are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And because of that, we have to be aware that we walk a different walk. We call out sin wherever there's sin, regardless of which party it's in. We call out righteousness wherever there's righteousness, regardless of which party is in. And we call out truth regardless of which party is in, because God is the author of those things, not a political party. Because are you aware? Of course you're aware that it used to be that the parties were switched. How are you going to feel when your party is no longer your party and you switch to the other one that you hated so much? My grandmother was a Democrat because it used to be that the Democrats were for the, worsing, were for the working people of America. At least that's what people thought, right? The people have switched parties. Tell me something. Why, why, why put you in a position to have to switch parties? Just join the only party that you'll never have to switch from. I'm from God's party. Truth is truth is truth. And if it's true, I'm going to praise it. And if it's false, I'm going I'm to condemn it. He says, abstain from sinful desires that war against your soul. Oh, this is such a picture. That war against your soul is a phrase that means it is this continuous, nonstop, never ceasing war, this advance against your soul. And, and, it, and it's a war that is not winnable by the flesh. These sinful desires that we're to confess before God, those sinful desires are constantly at war against your soul and trying to get you to the place where you are rendered ineffective, hypocritical, and broken for the kingdom of God. One of the saddest things that I've read this last month is that one of our, one of our greatest uh, apologists of our time, uh, Robbie Zacharias, he died of cancer not too long ago, it, it has been uncovered and revealed that he was engaged in some immoral behavior. Some of y'all didn't know that by the look on your face. Shocking, isn't it? The legacy of perhaps one of the greatest apologists, Christian apologists in our uh, uh, lifetime had a past that now will not only render his legacy quite tarnished, but it will also work against the message that he so skillfully taught. Why? Because the enemy is always at war against your soul with fleshly desires. The scripture says, as aliens and strangers, in other words, as one who walks a different road, be careful because the enemy is at war with your soul through your fleshly sinful desires. That tells you and me that we have to always be aware and always think about what is coming next against us. And don't you know how good the enemy is at his game plan? He's so good. What he does is he lets us have some victories. He lets us win a little bit. He hides back and he says, it's okay. I don't mind conceding a few of these. And then once we're marching down the road thinking, oh, we're doing, we're, look how good we're doing, he sneaks in and just throws a crumb. Then he throws another crumb and we look at it, we're like, oh, a crumb. We pick it up and we nibble. And before we know it, we're right back where we used to be. 
That is the enemy. Addiction is a lot like that. The enemy is a liar. Had a conversation this week about, about how hard it is against the enemy when it comes to addictions. And listen, folks, most all of us are addicted to something. We just like to point out the big addictions. Object lesson. We're addicted to what people say about us. That's approval and acceptance. That's why Facebook is so full of comments that we want people to, to praise us. Now, not all, we don't always do it for that, but if, if, it's you, if the shoe fits where, if it doesn't, don't worry about it, right? Maybe it's this. Maybe it's success. Some people use uh, athletics as an addiction. They beat their bodies. They, they just want to win. Oh, I'm just competitive. That might be the case, but it also could be that there's an unsatisfaction inside of you. See, this is the thing. As aliens and strangers, we are not to live by the patterns and the rules of this world. We're supposed to live by something totally different. The only way we can know that totally different pattern is by being in God's word and living every day, walking by the spirit and letting God teach us this is what it means to be a person of righteousness and this is what it means to be a person of idolatry. And it's hard. Listen, if anybody told you this life would be easy, they lied to you. For that person, you have the permission to punch them in the nose because they lied bad. But for the rest of us, listen, it is a war against the soul. And here's the deal. Verse 12 says this, conduct yourselves, this is where we get into this other part, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that in a case where they speak against you as those who do what is evil, they will by observing good works your good works, they will glorify God on the day of visitation. So listen to this again. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Here's why I think being politically aligned in, in, an, in, in a way that is overbearing, let's just say it that way. And, and again, I don't answer that for you. I'm just putting the information out here. I'm just showing you what God says in his word. You have to figure out how it works in your own life. This is where the, the, intrepid, this is where the fear comes from me because I don't want you to be mad at me. But at the same time, I can't just not tell you what the Bible says. So, so y'all deal with this, right? So it, it says that we are to conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. These are a people who think differently than the believers, these are people who have a different value, set of values, a different set of, of, of beliefs, a different set of loves and things like that. And the scripture says that we're to conduct ourselves, we're to live our lives honorably among them. In other words, we cannot be enemies of them because if we're enemies of them, we have no influence with them. This is why it's so, so important that we really think about the things we say. Because sometimes what we say might be true, but we are sacrificing the war for the sake of one argument. If I alienate you because of an opinion that probably doesn't make any difference in the price of tea in China, then I've pointlessly alienated you 
from me and now I have no more effect on your life for the gospel, which is the reason you were placed here. Amen? Come on. Here's what I mean. Let's just go to the other side. If I'm a Democrat and everything I talk about, Democrat, 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 as a Republican, you're supposed to hate me. Oh, we don't really hate you. We just despise you. Okay. Okay, fine. So now if I've labeled myself with the color and that's what I talk about, that's what I push, then I have cut off 50% of the population from hearing the truth that I really want to talk about. Can I just suggest that what the scripture's talking about here, because we're aliens and strangers, is that we step out of it and we step in the middle and say, I am for truth. I am for life. I am for justice. I am for righteousness. I am for hope. I am for peace. I am for racial re reconciliation. I am for uh, uh, protecting the rights of the unborn. I am for the holiness and sanctity of marriage. But I'm not going to label myself one of these things. I'm simply going to speak the truths that are true. Here's, here's the interesting part about doing that. And you, we're, we're going to find out. It's not an if, it's a, it's a, it's a we're going to find out. Guess what happens when you unhitch your, 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 unhitch your uh, cart from the donkey and the elephant? Both of them turn on you. Both of them turn on you. But can I just tell you that's exactly where Jesus calls you to be. That's where he calls you to be. Why? Because <laughs> I got good news for you. Turn, if you will, this is a little soon, but I want, to, I want you to turn here. Turn, if you will, to first, back to 1 John. Remember last week we talked about overcomers, just briefly? First John chapter 4. This is a letter to the believers. This is written to Christians. That's you and me. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 and 5 says this. You are from God. You are from God. If you have been born again, you have been born of God. That means you're a new creation. God has placed himself inside of you. You have power that you know not of. You say, well, I know what the Holy Spirit's power is. Yes, you do. But let me tell you, it's even greater than you could ever possibly imagine. You are from God, little children. Do you see that little phrase there, little children? This is not just an affectionate phrase. This is how we're to be. We're to be like little children. See, we, we want to live this, we want to live our life marching through like this, 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 this warrior. No, we're children who serve a father. And this father is a father who owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. He's great. My dad is bigger than your dad. My dad could beat your dad up. My dad could beat all of your dads up, right? Remember the fight that you had in the playground over this? Well, what does your dad do? Well, my dad, well, I can trump you all. My dad, when there was nothing, he was. 
My dad, when he tells his name, he says this, I am. So what's your dad's name? I am that I am. In that name, there is all-encompassing power. My dad is omnipotent, all-powerful. My dad is omnipresent. He's everywhere at every time. There's no yesterday or tomorrow. There's just now. My dad is omniscient. He knows everything. See, Josh, that's what dads are supposed to be like. I'm just saying. Now, I don't know everything. I know most things, but not everything. But for you, I know everything. Just we're having this father-son conversation. You'll, you'll get there when your son turns 17. Do you remember that, Dave? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, it happens, right? My father is omniscient. He knows everything. And he's always right every single time. Little children, God doesn't need you to act like an adult right now. He needs you to act like his child. Take that in the, in, for what it, in the spirit of what it said, because you could always parse that. And it says, and you have conquered them. Listen, you have conquered them. Who are them? Well, if you go back up in verse one, two, and three, the them are those who are the antichrist. Exactly what we're living in now. Right? Is there any question in your mind that the direction our country is going, it is an antichrist direction? Anybody agree with me on that? It is the exact same direction that Germany took. It is the exact same direction that Rome took. See, we, we like to think that we're, oh, we're just dealing with this for the, no. We've been dealing with this for, 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 for years and years and years. Forgive me for this, but, but the truth is, it's just that Christians have lived in their own little bubble thinking that the rest of the world is just like us. No, they haven't been just like us for a long, long time. We've just had enough people on our side to pretend like everything was fine, but you don't have an election like you had, and you don't have the ideology that you have today if everybody was Christ followers like we think. It just doesn't happen overnight. This has been brewing for, for, for years and years and years. We just now saw the tables turned. I know the election was rigged. Guys, listen. Don't use that ex excuse because probably they've all been rigged. I don't know the facts. All I know is that the heart of man is deceptive. And there has been this, this, this antichrist spirit in our country for years and years and years. This is not new. It's just that the tide has officially turned. It's officially turned. Just become a student of history. Go back and look at the origin of wars. Go back and look at the way leaders have dealt with humans. In the name of, of, of being the world's defenders, but in reality, in a, in a large part, the defender of oil, the defender of power, the defender of wealth. Listen, I love my country as much as anybody else, but we cannot be ignorant to the facts of who we have been as a country. We did human experiments on human beings. That was a redundant. We did experiments on human beings and we sanctioned it as a government. And we still want to proclaim ourselves righteous? 
No, there's a remnant who have been righteous. I think because of that remnant, God has held back restraint or he's held back his, uh, he's restrained the enemy. But the tide has turned. And and from from what I see, God is, is, is lifting the restraint of the Holy Spirit. And mark my words, we are gonna see a tidal wave of ungodliness unlike we've ever, that we've ever seen before, but it's happened before. We've just never seen it. Rome, the very people who were in charge when this letter was written. In Rome, they celebrated all the ungodliness, all the lust, infanticide, homosexuality, Every single possible offense to God was celebrated by the Roman people. It was so grotesque that they built coliseums and they put slaves into the coliseums and then they released wild animals to tear them apart limb by limb while the people in the stands would cheer on the animals as they killed the people. And guess who became the object of death in the arenas? It was slaves, and then it became Christians. Because they would not align with a party. Here, they basically ticked everybody off. I'm not going to align with the Jews. I'm not going to align with Romans. I'm going to align with Jesus. And, as, and because of that, everybody turned their head towards the Christians and the Christians became the scapegoat. And this letter was written in the midst of that time. And this is what he says. He says, you, we're back in 1 John. He says, um, uh, You have conquered them, here we go, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Turn to the person next to you and say, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. If you hear nothing else today, this is what I want you to leave on. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That means you are more than a conqueror. You are an overcomer. You are one who God himself has given the power and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So no matter what's going on outside, no matter what kind of pressure there is coming upon you, you can stand firm and confident in the power of the gospel. In the word in 1 John is a word to them and to every believer since. He says, but every spirit, uh, excuse me, I keep going back. Uh, They are from the world, verse five. They are from the world, therefore what they say is from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen. For this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Very important. We need to recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. And again, We, we, are, we are so human. We want to recognize truth and deception based on what we see with our eyes, but we've got to get out of that and see with our spiritual eyes. Not you. Nobody in here has done this, but what I've seen on social media is that truth and deception is every bit dependent upon if you're red or blue. Y'all do realize that both sides are yelling at each other, right? Both sides are saying the other's lying. Both sides have overwhelming evidence to prove their own point. 
But as Christ followers, our discernment of truth and deception comes from the Spirit of God, from the Holy Spirit living inside of us, not from where we align ourselves on the earthly realm. And so we have this discernment to know this is truth, this is a lie. Can I, can I give you a, an encouragement? Don't say anything without concrete facts. I at least deserve an amen for that. We got enough, we got enough stuff. Now, and, and look, if you got facts, then, the fact, then, then it's truth and you need to speak that as truth because facts mean something. And again, I'm not talking, I'm really, truly not speaking of anybody in this room. I'm really not. I hope you don't think. I'm saying overall, the Christian community is saying things based on what they heard somebody said that they posted that their uncle's aunt's nephew was there and heard. We lose credibility that way. We totally lose credibility. And it's blue and it's red. It's both. So here's the cool thing. Go to verse, uh, chapter 5. In chapter 5, verse 3. For this is what love for God is, to keep His commands. Now His commands are not a burden because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. And who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Here's what's beautiful about this passage and about the, the, the content or the intent of this passage for all of 1 John. The word overcomes or conquers is a word that was seldom used in the New Testament because it was a secular word. And, 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 and the New Testament doesn't use this word because of the origins of it. It was a secular word the word overcomes because it was the word Nikea. And it was the name of a God who was a God of victory. You know the word Nikea because some of you are wearing Nike. Uh, that's where we get that, Nike. The God of victory, the God of conquering. But it was, so, it was such an impressive concept that John was writing to the church and saying, the rest of the world believes that there's this God of victory. And, and, the, and this is a God who gives Zeus victory. But you serve a different God. You serve a God of victory. And that God is living inside of you. And so you are an overcomer. Do you see the parallel here? Do you see what he was saying? He was saying you have this, 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 this God of victory helping Zeus. But, or, or, or that's what the world says. But you have the God of victory inside of you. So that you yourself are an overcomer. You yourself are a conqueror in all things because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So when we walk into the world, the stage of life, we walk through this world as, the, as a humble child, as one who recognizes that we have no power, but we've got a father who is walking before us and behind us and beside us. And through our father, through the power that he gives us in the Holy Spirit, we can say things that we didn't even know we knew. We can do things that we didn't even know we could do. We can be in the midst of an absolute chaotic uh, 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 trash dump fire and still be light in the midst of total darkness. 
So the victory is in our faith. I'm, I'm just about done, I promise. The victory is in our faith. If you will, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I just, when I was studying this, I was just blown away at how so many of these things tie together. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. Up to, from verse 1 through 12, what what, uh, the author of Hebrews was saying is he was giving a roll call of faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And then he comes to verse uh, verse 13 and he says, um, these all died in faith without having to see or to receive the promises, but they saw them from a distance. They, They had hope. They saw them from a distance. They greeted them and they confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. In the Old Testament, Noah, Noah's day was wicked. But by faith, he pleased God. He could see the promises of redemption. He could see the hope of the gospel, but he never lived it. He just could see it in the future. And he lived by faith with this kind of hope because he knew that he was a foreigner and a temporary resident on earth. Verse 14, now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly place. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. This is the truth. They were seeking a homeland They weren't trying to hold on to what they have. They released what they have and they were outstretched with their arms to what they had coming. If you are holding on to what you have, then you do not have capacity to reach out towards what is coming. And you are shortchanging yourself the glory of man for the glory of God. And that's a horrible place to live. Matthew 5, I think it's 17, says, Therefore let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is the charge for us today. And again, I'm not judging your heart and I'm asking you not to judge mine. I'm asking you to judge your own heart and I will judge my own. And I will stand before God and I will say to God, God, this is the life that I lived. This is what I gave myself to. Shannon and I started a movie last night that was one weird movie. It was strange. We got like 36 minutes into it. I know that's a long time, but I was, I was just trying to make sense. I'm going, does this get better? You want to guess what it was? It's on Disney Plus. Soul. I was watching this movie, Soul. And you know what? You know what, from what I gather in the first 36 minutes? Here's the point. People live their life with no point. People live their life with no impact. That's what happens when you live for an earthly kingdom. But the moment you step into the middle... The moment you let go of the things that hinder and divide, the moment you proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, 
The moment you release every portion of your heart and your soul and your mind and your body and your DNA to him and say, Lord, I am an open check. I am a blank check. I am, a, I am I'm completely in your hands. Send me where you want me to go. Tell me what you want me to do. Lord, I'm, I'm yours. My mouth, my hands, my heart, my head, my ears, my toenails. It's all yours. When you do that, God says, finally, I can make something in your life. Josh and I went hunting yesterday. We hunted in this place that was, um, it was red clay. And uh, I don't know if you've ever hunted in, in, in red clay, but it's nasty. It sticks. And every step that you take gives you a little more red clay on your boots. Well, I had, I had left something in the woods, we had gone out to the main road and driving in and out of there. I mean, we were drifting sideways. I mean, we were praying hard because we had no chains. We had two-wheel drive. We, we weren't going to get out. If we, we, I almost hit trees multiple times. We were out at the main road, and I'm like, you know what? I left something at the stand. It's valuable to me. I got to go get it. So I pulled off my bike. I have an electric bicycle. I know, not the one that exploded and caught on fire. This is a different one. I got on the bike, and I started down. Boy, we were, I was slipping and sliding. I think the greatest um, um, Olympic sport ever in the history of man would be people on electric bikes having to ride through red clay. It would be awesome. I rode all the way down to the stand and I got it. And I was, as I was riding out, I noticed that my bike was getting slower and slower and slower. Because on the tires was not, not just a little, but it was clumps of clay that was rubbing up in between the, the fenders and the wheels. And it was so much that it literally rendered my wheels inoperable. The bike would no longer roll. And as I looked at it, oh, by the way, I also broke it trying to force it through there. As I looked at it, what I realized is that's a lot like us in life. We're trying to get through this earth and all this stuff of the earth is sticking to us and it's bogging us down and it's hindering us and, and it's hindering us and it's making it almost impossible to even breathe sometimes. And it's making us tired and weary and worn out and Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, I will give you rest. You find that rest when you're in God's plan. When you're in his kingdom. So whatever you have to do in your life, to adjust your heart and your mind and your life to be in his plan. That's what you need to do now. There was a particularly brutal um, commanding officer in, in a POW camp in the Philippines during World War II. I can't remember, his name started with, with a K, Kimon or something like that. He was brutal. His reputation was, was, was all through, through the, the country. 
A missionary family, a husband, a wife, and a son were captured. They were sent to this camp. This commander was so brutal that it's reported that he would act, that at one point he actually increased the ration of food to the prisoners, but he gave them unshelled rice, which was hard and sharp. And so if you ate the rice unshelled, it literally would cut your insides and you would bleed to death internally. And he did this because he wanted to give them more, to give them hope, but also to crush them because they knew that even though they had more, they had less. Because in order to make the rice edible, you had to take and press it and mash it, and that would take energy that they just didn't have. For three years, this missionary couple was, was, was in this POW camp. They weren't fighting the war. They were just caught up in it. At some point, they were released or they escaped Several years later, they heard that this war, this, this uh, uh, commander was actually captured. They found him in Manila um, as a caretaker for a country club. They put him on trial and he was convicted of war crimes and then sent to the gallows to be hanged. But before he was hung, he gave testimony and this was his testimony. I want you to know I'm sorry for my actions I have found a relationship with Jesus Christ. I am now born again. And the reason that I am born again is because there were some missionaries in my camp whose life changed me. See, these missionaries refused to hate. They chose to love. They chose not to side with the, with the prisoners and not to side with the, the, the oppressors. They sided with Jesus. And the side of Jesus means that we love people regardless of who they are. And we love them with a selfless love. You can only do that when you are walking with Jesus. It's the only way. Will you close your eyes and bow your head? I want to invite you this morning to allow God to, to bring conviction to wherever conviction needs to be. I'm, I'm asking you to search your heart, just like David prayed, Lord, search my heart, know my thoughts, see if there's any wicked way in me. I'm asking you to allow God to correct and to, uh, uh, to change anything inside of you, just like I'm asking Him inside of me, God, what needs to change? Because I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm walking this walk. I'm as frustrated as you are. So I'll just pray, God, I pray that you would, you would just, Lord, help us. God, we're, we're living in this world and it's crazy. But we have such hope because of the gospel. Lord God, I pray that you would consume us with your thoughts. Lord God, I pray that you would humble us. I pray that you would make us people of mercy. God, I pray that you would make us less, less vocal about things that don't matter and more vocal about things that do because the only hope for our country is Jesus. And God, it's not on a national level. It's one by one. It's me talking to my friends. It's, it's your people 
where they go proclaiming the gospel, just, just telling your story. Lord, we are worn out. We've tried everything we can do. Lord, there is no scheme. There is no, there is no plan. The only thing we can do is go back to what you said. Love one another. So God, I pray that all that was said today, you would only let us remember what came from your heart. God, forgive me if I've said something that is out of my own flesh. Lord, I, I certainly don't, don't mean to do that. And I pray that you would erase that from anybody's memory if I did. But God, I pray that today there'd be a real, real heart change in all of us. Lord, may we be a people of hope. Lord, I ask this because we are to let our light so shine before men on this earth so that they will see our good works and glorify you, O God. This is our prayer. And God's people said, in Jesus' name. Say that with me. In Jesus' name. Find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.org.